Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. It's good to be in God's Word. This morning we'll be opening God's Word to Psalm 84. You can find it in the Black Pew Bible in front of you on page 493. And as you turn there, I want to pose a question for your consideration. If you could go anywhere in the world right now, where would it be? Do you have a favorite location? You don't need to yell it out. Or do you have like a favorite kind of event that you would go to? Maybe you'd want to visit the Grand Canyon. Or maybe you'd prefer a relaxed beach day. Uh, Or maybe Thanksgiving, because you've got the food and you've got the family, you've got the football. I know that when I was a kid, what I wanted uh, was Father's Day. Not because of any great love for my father, although I did love him very much. Uh, But it was in the summer. And every Father's Day, we would invite our entire extended family over to our house, about 30 people, fill up the house, Uh, We would grill some burgers, which are my favorite food, and uh, we kids would go swimming, then we would come out to eat, then we would go back swimming, and maybe we'd come back to eat again. It's a little unclear. Any of the things that I've just described are good, genuinely good things. They're genuine blessings from the Lord. But the author of Psalm 84 this morning wants us to rejoice in something else. This psalm wants us to reorient our minds and our hearts to a different and better joy than swimming, food, football, Grand Canyon. The joy and the blessing that comes from being near God. So let's turn our eyes and our hearts to God's word to see the beautiful picture that he paints there of what it's like to be near God. This is Psalm 84. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs Yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. They make it a place of springs. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. 
O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen. Please pray with me as we come to God for his word. Lord, we want to hear your word. We want to hear you speak through your word. We want to understand your word. We want to love your word. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit. Help us to live it out. We pray that now as we listen that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive these truths from you. We pray you would take this time to grow our affection for you and that through this time, your kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, might grow in each one of us and by your spirit in the world as well. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There are lots of different kinds of psalms. There are psalms of lament, people grieving over the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of sin. Psalms of remembrance, where the author is remembering some historical event where the Lord rescued his people or blessed them. Wisdom psalms that speak of the wisdom that comes from God. But Psalm 84 has a blend of two different types of psalm. Psalms of Zion, which are psalms about the city of Jerusalem and God's dwelling place in the city of Jerusalem, and psalms of praise, which rejoice in God's character and in his deeds. And in Psalm 84, we see these two types of psalm together. We see the author praising the Lord through a focus on his dwelling in Zion, in Jerusalem. This is such a great first verse of a psalm. It overflows in praise for the Lord's temple court in Jerusalem. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, Now, that's an interesting word for the temple. There's a lot of different words you could use for the temple. Amazing, majestic, grand, impressive. But the author of this psalm wanted lovely. It's because the temple in Jerusalem evoked his affection. It touched his heart in a special way. And unique way. We see the same emphasis in verse 2. 
Listen to how he talks about the temple of the Lord. He says, my soul longs. Yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. From the very core of his being, he eagerly desires to be in the temple court. So much so that he even faints without it. That's, that's a lot of longing. But as we continue on reading in verse 2, the second half of verse 2 clarifies for us that it's not really the building that he loves so much. He says, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. This is a person whose soul, whose essence, whose heart is captivated not just by the temple or the courts around it, but by the Lord himself. The very reason why the temple courts are anything special at all. And this is the first point that this psalm wants to make as a whole. The very first point of this sermon, namely that there is a deep personal joy in being near to the Lord. And it's not just here at the beginning of the psalm. It's woven throughout the psalm, throughout all of the verses of the psalm. But he makes a strange transition in verse 3 when he starts talking about birds making nests at the temple. Right? You can imagine there were birds in the area and they would fly around and they would say, where can I go to find a nice little nest and not be disturbed by anything? Oh, there's a big building. I'll go on there. He says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Ever singing your praise. I wonder if he was thinking about the birds His point is to be near the Lord is a great blessing. And then in verse 5, he continues. He lays a blessing on those people whose strength is in you, speaking to the Lord, in whose heart are the highways to Zion who want to go be with the Lord in his dwelling place. There's joy for them in it. Have you ever been joyful on Mopac to come here? <laughs> Speaking about them in verse 7, he says that they get the desire of their heart they're longing for Zion, and they get there. He says, each one appears before God in Zion. What this author cares about is nearness to the Lord. He continues the idea. In verse 10, speaking about himself, the author says something very serious. He says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Did you hear that? 
A thousand to one? That's quite a claim. I did some math. I like math. That's like me saying, if I could choose to be in the courts of the Lord, here at Park Hills, with the Lord for the next two weeks, or if I could choose, on the other hand, to live to be about 80 years old, this author's uh, position is got to pick the two weeks. If I could be with the Lord in his temple for two weeks, I would definitely pick that instead of not being able to go to his temple and living to a ripe old age. That's a pretty serious joy density that you're getting out of these two weeks if you're willing to give up 40 years for it. Who is this guy? We actually haven't mentioned his name yet. He doesn't have a name. But if we take a look at the inscription of the psalm, the heading, this says, A Psalm of the Sons of Korah. Who are these crazy sons of Korah? The sons of Korah were a subset, a small group of the larger group of Levites. Temple attendants from the tribe of Levi, whose duty it was to assist in corporate worship, to maintain the temple grounds, and to maintain the tools and the implements for sacrifices at the altar, and act as guards and doorkeepers at the temple. And so when we read in the second half of verse 10, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness, we see a beautiful picture of these Levites, the sons of Korah, doing what they desired to do more than anything else, namely the work that the Lord had given them as their inheritance. The Lord gave to the tribe of Levi the blessing of being near in the temple court. He set them apart to be in, their pres- in his presence, and that's exactly where these sons of Korah wanted to be, even if it meant something as menial as being a doorkeeper, standing in place for hours on end. By the way, I do want to really encourage anyone who is interested in being a greeter. Uh, it's, it's good work. I don't mean to belittle it at all, and neither would this author. right? Being a doorkeeper at the house of the Lord is great work. But, let's be clear, in Israel, the heat of Jerusalem is no joke. It is roughly comparable to Texas, And so at certain times of the year, standing outside at attention for hours in the heat can be pretty serious. And so in light of that, how do you like this this two weeks? Would you still give it up for 40 years? Well, would you still give up the 40 years for two weeks? Two weeks of sweating outside in the heat, standing at attention, and yet 
these sons of Korah would rather stand at attention in the temple of their God than relax in the shade in a tent. That's some serious devotion. I'm not sure how I would respond if I were faced with that choice. I'd like to, to think that I would be devoted enough. But actually, the comparison is even more poignant. Because the sons of Korah, we know a little bit more about them just than that they were Levites. Maybe you remember Korah. Korah shows up in Numbers chapter 16, the original Korah. He was one of three men who rebelled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Korah, along with his friends Dathan and Abiram, who were of the tribe of Reuben, they weren't of the tribe of Levi. Korah was of the tribe of Levi, and these three men decided that they wanted to lead the people of Israel rather than serve under Moses and Aaron. A little bit different picture than these sons of Korah who were willing to be doorkeepers. You may remember the story from number 16. Moses says to the people of Israel, everyone get away from Korah and Dathan and Abiram and their families and their stuff because I'm going to judge between Moses and them. And as a result, the earth opened up. The ground beneath them opened up. They and their families and their possessions fell down into the earth, which then closed up over them. I imagine that would include some tents of wickedness, just gone. And so how do we have any sons of Korah alive hundreds of years later to continue the temple worship? The only way there could be any sons of Korah is if some of the family of Korah, when Moses said, separate yourself from them, took that very seriously. and were spared, unlike the rest of their family. Spared so that centuries later, they could write this psalm about how it's better to be near the Lord than anything else. Even through serious difficulty, rather than stay with the wicked in their comfort. What an amazing testimony these sons of Korah have about the goodness of being with the Lord. And so as we consider the psalm, we have to ask ourselves, do we take that kind of joy in the Lord? Are we that committed to being with him, remaining in his presence? Is our nearness to him a source of such deep joy and gratitude and praise Because to be clear, if you are a Christian, you are near the Lord. You have an inheritance so much better than the Levites. You are experiencing the presence of the Lord through the Holy Spirit in a way that no one 
in the Old Testament did. And the Lord has called you to greater work than they had. And you get to rejoice in your service to the Lord. So, do we? Do we rejoice in these things? Do we rejoice in menial service to the Lord? It's not easy to have that kind of perspective consistently. But one of the things that I hope this psalm does is open our eyes to the spiritual reality that the sons of Korah saw that we can sometimes lose sight of. Because we have so much more to delight in and to rejoice about than they did. You don't get two sweaty weeks with the Lord. Instead, you get forever. Is that something to be joyful about? You don't get to serve at the temple. You get to be the temple. You get to be the place where the Lord dwells. As Daniel read for us before from Ephesians 2, we, the church, are the dwelling place of God, being built together for him for worship. And those joys will never, literally never end. That should be what our souls long for. And so let these truths, as we read them, remind you of that greater inheritance and fill your heart with affection and joy and delight and praise. And let these promises inoculate your heart against the insignificant joys that the world has to offer us in comparison. But how do we cultivate joy? It's not easy to cultivate joy. We can't just decide, I want to be joyful and become joyful. But there are a number of ways that the Lord has given us to cultivate our joy in him. One of them is his word. These truths that we're reading, we need to feed on them. We need to meditate upon them. We need to consider them so that they become our normal way of thinking. We need to memorize it. Keep it with us wherever we go. In your car, checkout line, doing dishes. You can spend time in God's word whenever you want. And we need to spend time with the Lord in prayer. He speaks to us through his word. We speak to him through prayer. We want to cultivate that nearness, that closeness to the Lord. Verses 2 and 4 tell us to sing out our praise to the Lord. It can be embarrassing sometimes, just belting it out. Might feel silly. Should do it anyway. Even if you got roommates or something. I mean, maybe you could sing together. It's... If we are the temple, if we are being built together into a spiritual house for the Lord, then being together with one another 
is another way that we can experience the presence of God and rejoice in it. You should be driving down Mopac, excited to get here, but if you're late, it's very difficult and you might feel distracted by other things. We should be cultivating our deep and personal joy at being in the presence of the Lord. So this psalm wants to tell us to cultivate that joy. But in addition to deep joy, this psalm also wants to remind us a second thing. Namely, that there is abundant blessing in being near to God as well. Just like there is deep joy, there is abundant blessing in being near the Lord. And this idea also is woven throughout the entire text of the psalm. So let's go back. Let's take a look. Let's go back to Psalm 84, verse 3, and we go back to the birds. After pouring out his heart in verses 1 and 2 about his soul longing for the courts of the Lord, his heart and flesh singing for joy, he says, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my king and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Why is he talking about birds? Because they sing well, they dwell in the temple. There may have been some birds living in the temple court, but this passage wants to let us know that the Lord offers a home and a shelter even to something as small as a sparrow or as small as the baby birds of a swallow. You know, so I was curious about the baby birds of a swallow. Not been around a lot of swallows. They're small birds, but of course their babies are even smaller. Middle Eastern barn swallows, when they hatch, weigh about two grams. Now that means very little to most Americans. But that's about the weight of two small paper clips. Not the big paper clips, the, just, you know, the smaller ones. Put two of those in your hand, that's about the weight of a baby barn swallow. And yet, the Lord of the universe has a place for them with him. Wow. Do we know and believe that we have a place in the presence of the Lord? Do you think that you might be even more important than a baby barn swallow? Because you do. You are more important than a baby barn swallow. Matthew 10.31 says specifically that you are of more value than many sparrows. 
And there is a place for you in the Lord's presence. There is a place for everyone. Greatest king, poorest peasant, and everywhere in between. No one is too small, too poor, or too insignificant to find a place at the altar of the Lord. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with this Lord, this King, if you haven't dedicated your life to him and placed your trust in him, maybe you're keeping the Lord at a distance, at arm's length. Maybe there are some people here who don't think they're good enough to find a place at the home of the Lord of the universe. That the Lord would not warmly receive you. It's important for all of us to know that the Lord loves you. The Lord values you just the way you are and he wants each of us to come and find a place at his altar. In the ancient world, the altar It's a big stone platform where sacrifices would be made to the Lord. When they had broken fellowship with the Lord, those sacrifices would restore their fellowship with him to bring them near when they had been far off or unclean. And although God had originally made everything perfect and clean and good, Mankind became separated from the Lord by their sin, by their rebellion, by their rejection of his authority. That's not what the Lord intended. And the Lord in his kindness wanted to restore us back to himself and give us blessing, give us eternal joy in his presence forever. And so he sent a sacrifice, his only son, Jesus Christ, to die, to pay that penalty for mankind's sin that we could never pay, and to reestablish that fellowship with him that we once had. And so the Lord wants all people to turn away from rebellion, to receive his authority, to trust in him, and to be restored into the kind of fellowship that he offers in this psalm. What other kinds of blessings? We're still in verse 3 for the second half of this psalm. What other blessings are mentioned here beyond a home and a shelter? Let's take a look at verses 5 to 7. These verses read... Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Now, if you know anything about the geography of Israel, you probably know 
that it's not really a place of springs and pools everywhere. In a lot of ways, the hill country of Judah and Jerusalem were very similar to the Texas hill country. It's dry, it's rocky, not much in the way of water sources. But the main difference between Texas and Israel is that Israel has a very long dry season where there is no rain from May to September. Don't bring your umbrella. You're not going to get rained on. It's not entirely clear today where the Valley of Baca is, but wherever it is, to make any place in Israel a place of springs and to cover it with pools is an amazing blessing. But what's interesting about this particular blessing is where the water comes from. Did you notice? There are two different sources of the water. Verse 6 says, As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Who are they? Let's back up. Verse 5 tells us that the they are those whose strength is in the Lord. But they also have a second source for this water. First is these people whose strength is in the Lord, who go from strength to strength, and who make it a place of springs. But we also see in verse 6 that the early rain also covers it with pools. So we see, by the way, the early rains are, when you're back in the wet season, the the early rains are the, the first set of rains. So late fall, right? So we see that in this dry, barren wilderness, there are people who are taking their strength not from themselves, but from the Lord. And as they take their strength from the Lord, they go and they increase from strength to strength. And they make this wilderness a place of springs. They are a source of refreshment to the people and the things that are around them. And in addition, these early rains that come from the Lord are also a source of refreshment. What a beautiful picture of God blessing abundantly Not only those whose strength is in him, but those around those whose strength is in him. It begs the question, have we felt dry or weary or in need of refreshment? This psalm wants to remind you that when you feel that way, Your strength does not come from yourself. Rather, you receive from strength to strength from the Lord, 
and refreshment when you look for your strength in him, when your strength is from him. Verses 8 and 9 continue the description of God's blessing on his people. There's more blessing coming. This time through the anointed, God's anointed, God's Messiah, the anointed king that's over God's people. The author asks the Lord to, quote, Behold our shield and look on the face of your anointed. The author sees his own blessing, the blessing of God's people, as intimately intertwined with God's looking upon, that is blessing, his own anointed king. This is a request that the Lord would not only pay attention to the king of Israel, but bless that king of Israel, and through that blessing, bless all of the people of Israel. And this is even more true for us today. If it was true that the blessing on the people of Israel was intimately intertwined with their anointed king, it's even more true that Jesus Christ God's anointed king is the ultimate source of blessing for everyone, everywhere. And whether you claim him as king or not, know that God's favor is inescapably bound up with his Messiah, his anointed, Jesus Christ. The final promise of God's blessing in this psalm comes right at the end of the chapter. But it's definitely the best one, in my opinion. Take a look at verses 11 and 12. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. There's so much here. The Lord is a sun. The Lord is light. The Lord is life for everyone. And just a moment ago, we saw that the anointed was the shield of the Lord protecting his people. But now we see that the Lord himself is a shield. The Lord himself is the ultimate protection of his people. Just a moment ago, the anointed, God's Messiah, was the Lord's shield of protection. But now we see that the Lord identifies himself with that anointed king. He was a shield And the Lord is the shield. And it's through that anointed that the Lord offers protection to his people. Verse 11 tells us that the Lord is the one who gives favor to those who are favored. That the Lord is the one who gives honor to those who are honored. But this last part of verse 11 
is a balm of blessing on the reader. Listen again to this wonderful truth. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. I'm going to say it again. Because it's that good. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Isn't that such a great truth? Isn't that such good news? Wait a second. Does that mean that if you walk uprightly, just hear me out, that if you walk uprightly, God will give you money? Saw a couple of no's. Does that mean that if you walk uprightly, the Lord will give you nice cars? Or a spouse? Good grades? Friends? Those seem like good things. But this does not mean that. The gospel does not promise earthly success, comfortable living, (coughs) or material possessions. Jesus himself walked uprightly better than any of us, and he had none of these. On the contrary, the gospel promises you rich, abundant, spiritual blessings of a kind that make material possessions look like a bad joke. Blessings that you wouldn't ever, ever want to trade for earthly success. There's a great man who once said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. A man that valued his sweaty two weeks more than 40 years of comfortable living Remember verse 11. Memorize verse 11. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. If he doesn't give you that money, you know why? It wasn't good. If he doesn't give you that spouse, it's because it wouldn't have been good for you. And if he calls you to lose your life in service to him, it will be a greater blessing than anything you gave up. Because you'll be with him. And there is no greater blessing, no greater joy than that. 
But what if you tell me, Ryan, that verse promises these blessings to those who walk uprightly. And that's not me. No, it isn't. And it's not me either. There's only one person in the history of the world who ever fit that description. And that's the same person who was punished by God to take away the penalty for my sin and for your sin. And he's the one who makes it possible for you to be near God. He's the one who makes this true for you. Who enables you to receive these blessings. Who helps you to find the fullness of joy that these words promise. I pray that we would all draw near to him by faith. Because in God's presence there is deep joy and in God's presence there is abundant blessing through faith in Jesus Christ. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these great and precious promises. We thank you that you want us to draw near to you, to be in your presence, and to be restored to full fellowship with you. We thank you for these great blessings of strength and restoration, of hope, and we thank you that we will enjoy eternity with you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And we pray now that you would help us to draw near in faith and to find our perfect joy and our abundant blessing in you. We ask it through your righteous Son, Christ Jesus. Amen.